end time teaching has to be seen as from a textual and a chronological aspect. Uh, the scriptures were written, as I put here in your notes, uh, is written in letter form. The chapters and verses are good for location. Uh, for the life of me, I don't understand how the Old Testament people ever found the scripture they were looking for because it was a big scroll and they had to unroll it and all that stuff. So I, I'm thankful that those guys put that in there, but sometimes it messes up some things because they put a beginning of a chapter where there shouldn't have been. So, but, but in studying these things, and of course we're going to really get into uh, Matthew 24 tonight after we do our pass and review here, and, and it is chronological. Matthew was very good at that. Luke recorded some of the same things, but he jumped over into the book of Acts when he was talking about that. Uh, but here we've put here some pass and review points that in 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter or 4, uh, verses 13 through 18, I want to read that to you. And he was telling them, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent... I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The word the prevent means proceed. We are not going to precede them which are asleep. For or because the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. And it's important that we know this so that we can be comforted about the end time activities as well as comforting others. All my growing up days, if I can put it that way, uh, there was mystery behind this and I've always wanted to stay away from it. I, I mean, you know, for 50 years, I've, I've really not wanted to get into that because there was so much confusion. I even taught for a year at a Bible school over in Huntsville, Alabama. And the, uh, the pastor, the head of the church there, said he didn't know which way it should go. He didn't know whether it was going to be a pre-trib, a mid-trib, or a, or a post-trib rapture. And so... We didn't get into it there. I taught on other issues, a lot of the things I'm teaching you on Sundays. But I decided that it's time that I establish this in my heart. I mean, me being this age, I should already know about these things, but I have to be honest with you, this is an education for me, as well as it is uh, maybe for the rest of you too. So I'm excited about it and, and, and laying these things out. And uh, There's a book by a friend of mine called... Uh, what was it called? What was 
John's book's name. I can't. One of them is the ABCs of Revelation. Oh, the other one is called Tell a Vision. T-E-L-L, a vision. And you can get on Amazon and get that. He gets into a lot, of, a lot greater detail than I do on some things. And I, I highly respect him. He's a great, a great man of God. But uh, and, and, uh, you say, well, there may be some things in there that doesn't coincide with what you believe. Do you know any two preachers alive that they coincide? You know, uh, there's no two people that believe everything exactly the same. So I have to put this down the way that I see this, the way that I believe the Holy Spirit has given it to me. And one thing that I've learned in life is to always stay teachable. Stay teachable and changeable. I'm not afraid to turn loose of something that I have believed before. Because uh, it's been a blessing every time that I have. When I was a Baptist preacher, boy preacher, uh, and got baptized in the Holy Ghost in 1973, well, I had to change everything, see. I mean, it, and, I, and I'm so glad because my life has been uh, improved a lot since then. So also in your passing review notes, this, this book, First and Second Thessalonians, was written to a church that was very open, open to receiving the gospel and being corrected. And, uh, and that's why I said we always need to stay teachable and changeable. Uh, remember I said the other day when I was talking about believing it's your choice uh, on Sunday and, and that a belief is just a belief. So don't be afraid to back up and take another look. It's, it's okay, you know, because uh, there's a lot of people out there that's, that's deceived because they have just chosen to believe what some other guy told them. A lot of times when I'm in a discussion with somebody about Scripture, different passages, and they want to argue, and that's one thing I don't do is argue. I figure it's an insult to one of us because one of us is wrong. So I don't argue about it, but, but sometimes I'll ask them, you know, I say, well, where did you hear that? And a lot of times they can't tell you where. They just grew up believing that, and it was always assumed that that's the way it was. I know my home church, uh, Underwood Grove Missionary Baptist Church in uh, Cumberland Gap, Tennessee, they have never believed uh, in the millennial reign. Never. My whole life, they've never believed. They said, you find one place where it says Jesus puts His foot down on the, script, on, you know, on the earth and we'll believe it. Well, they, it's in there, but they just choose not to see that. So, so don't be a cha- uh, you know, afraid to change what you believe. or, or don't, If you're right, don't get upset about it if somebody won't agree with you. Amen? So, because you know, the Holy Spirit's the real teacher. Not me, not you, not any man. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we can, we can spend the time with Him and mine out that gold in the Scriptures, or we can uh, do like the gold miners did back in the 1800s and uh, find some fool's gold and think that it's real. And that fool's gold comes from the intellect. It doesn't come out of your spirit. So, Book on Dwight D. Dwight, yes. I, I've referenced him many times, but I've never, I've never had his book. I'd like to. Okay. Now, Paul corrected these people concerning some sins in their life, broken fellowship and sexual sins, and then, of course, in Second Thessalonians, he commends them for accomplishing that. Uh, in in verse ten, actually, Second Corinthians one, uh, it says it says that Paul's testimony was believed. And the word testimony, interestingly enough, 
is the word for martyr, uh, which, which is also the word for witness. A witness and a martyr is the same thing. And so Paul said they believed his witness. And Paul got his witness from the Scriptures. You know, the, the Scriptures tell us that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And that's the way the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you. If you'll be patient and wait on Him, He will guide you into the Scriptures and give you confirmation. If you can't get a confirmation, just wait until you do or consider the possibility that you might just be flat wrong about what you're believing about the Scripture. Many people don't like that. They don't like to admit that they're wrong because everybody wants to be a professional when it comes to the Bible. You know, they quote this. Well, I had a grandfather that God saved on his deathbed at 92 that could quote the Bible better than me. So it doesn't matter, you know, about, about those kind of things. So they, these people had received a report that the rapture had already happened and they were in fear. Now, I've, I have belonged to churches before that most of the people were in fear about the end times. And, uh, and it's, it's real sad and pitiful when people are told, and we'll cover that, but they're told from a, some obscure scripture pulled out of context that you have to endure to the end or bless God, you won't make it. You're going to go. I mean, that'll get a, a, an altar response. If I want to stand up and put fear in people's hearts and, you know, get them down at the altar and let them bawl and squall and, you know, wipe their nose. and I, I mean, that'll get them some things, but what good is it? Because that passage is not even talking to you and I as believers. It's not even... You say, well, it's in the New Testament. Well, that don't matter. You know, we have to, as we, as we started out this course, we have to decide... Uh, what Scripture is to us and what Scripture is to Israel. Because sometimes th He says things to them that doesn't apply to us. And sometimes He says things to us that didn't apply to them. So we have to know that. That's called rightly, di rightly dividing the Word of God. You know, we shared with you about that a couple of weeks ago. It means to draw a straight line. Rightly dividing. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants. Now in 1 Thessalonians 5... Just drop down there to that fifth chapter, uh, 6 through 11, addresses the Christians who are asleep. Now, in the fourth chapter, he already talked about we will not prevent those which are asleep. We will not precede them which are asleep. In that instance, he's talking about people that are dead. But when he gets down to the fifth chapter, he's saying, the people that are asleep here, it's the word which would be better translated as lethargic or just, you know, weighted down with, with uh, fears and anxieties and just not, not turned on to the Lord. Can I put it that way? Not, not really on fire for God. And, and we all know people like that that are Christians that, uh, that maybe don't, you know, they don't even go to church all the time or maybe not at all. It's a very dangerous thing. Uh, I know someone one time was talking about Hebrews the 6th chapter I think it's 6th chapter where it says that those who have once received the knowledge of the truth and tasted the good word of God and all this stuff you know if they should fall away impossible to renew them back unto repentance but uh, you know that's not really and we'll teach that to you sometime and you know get, do an expose on that but that's not really talking 
about that kind of a thing. Some, and, and people reading it that way will say, well, you know what? I would rather stay a baby Christian and not grow up because that passage is talking about mature Christians. I, and not grow in the Lord because then I won't be held responsible because I'll still be a baby. And there's truth to that, but it's very dangerous. Every person that I personally have known of that has gone into Islam that had once been a Christian never grew in the Lord. They were what we would call a nominal Christian. They really didn't pray. They didn't read their Bible. They didn't study. And uh, so, you know, it's very dangerous to try to remain a baby in the Lord because you can be taken advantage of by the devil very easily. So it's important that we grow. And that's why that I am so thrilled that He's allowed me to come here so that we can all grow in the Lord. And I'm not trying to insult you that you're not mature, but you're like most of the church out there, most of the church world, possibly, uh, that we're not where we need to be. I mean, if we were, we would be winning the world to Jesus today. Hey, we feel grateful that you came. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. (laughs) So, they had that report, and then uh, Paul addresses the Christians who are asleep, and that they are going. We might just go ahead and read that. That's uh, 6 through 11. He says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, or as do others, but let us watch and be sober, because they sleep, they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, that is, having self-control, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain soteria. Remember me telling you those two words? To obtain soteria. That's self-preservation. He has anointed us and appointed us to obtain this wonderful salvation, which means that you can walk in health and prosperity. And I'm not talking about getting rich like some preachers we know. I won't, I'll remain nameless. Uh, it's talking about well-being. You know, He's appointed us to that. He's not appointed us to wrath. So, so here, he's trying to point out to the Thessalonican church that they need to realize they don't have to be afraid. They don't have to be upset about these things that's coming on the world. Don't listen to those idiots out there preaching doom and gloom. And that's what they were being told. Because we are not of them. We're of a different breed. We have a new identity. We are in Christ Jesus. And we don't have to worry about it. We're not Jews. We don't believe in Judaism. And we're not Gentiles as far as being sinners are concerned. We're a new breed of people. So we don't need to walk in fear about these things that's coming. What we need to do is grow up and become mature so that we can take these issues to people who are afraid or are unsaved and bring them into the kingdom of God, you see. That makes sense. Amen. So, I really don't want to be rewarded when I get to that. And I'm looking forward. The Holy Spirit's given me more stuff on the judgment seat. I can't wait to get to that lesson. But, but I don't want to be rewarded for sitting around sleeping in the church all the time. I'm not talking about in the pew here. I'm talking about just being sleepy 
you know, and lethargic concerning the things of God. We're going to be rewarded for that. Right? Maybe we don't need to say we. But some will be rewarded for sleeping when they should be up and doing the will of God. Amen? So, I want to be rewarded for accomplishments. I've already wasted many, many years. It, it really bothers me that I, that I allowed the enemy to deviate me from that. But thank God that's in the past. He'll restore the years the canker worm hath eaten. Now, this next statement in your notes here, I want you to really, really meditate or think about this. It's not your trip to heaven by virtue of the rapture is not based on an earnable position but your identity. It's very easy for pastors and evangelists to try to, to, to go over into that arena of condemnation and preaching down to people because they want to elicit a response to the altar. I told a preacher one time that, that I know quite well, and, I, and it's really hard for me to sit and, and listen to him, because he, he doesn't have a lot of Bible knowledge and he preaches a lot of tradition. And I told him, I said, Brother, let me tell you something. I said, I can start coming to your church if you'll give me a class. I said, I'll teach these people and they won't run down to the altar every Sunday crying and begging God to forgive them of the sins that they had, that, had done that week. And you know what? He, he absolutely refused that because that's what he lives for. He wants an altar full of people repenting and crying before God and not walking in victory. Yes, I have. And so that's what I try as a pastor to do. I mean, I want people to walk the aisle and get born again and get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want that. But what use would it be to me to get you to walk the aisle every Sunday? You're saved. Amen? So when we start inviting people in here, friends, whoever... And they come, don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit moves on me to make that kind of a call, you see. But it's, it's such a shame that we, have, uh, we preachers have resorted to emotional tactics to try to get a response out of people so that we can say, you know, yeah, bless God, we got, we got a hundred saved. But, but they don't tell you that they've been getting saved every Sunday for 50 years. <laughs> Yes, amen. I mean, it's, it's sad. Those of you that have not been in a Pentecostal, old-fashioned, old-line Pentecostal church, you've not missed anything, I'm telling you. Because that, I mean, that was the, that, that was the, 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 the epitome. Uh, you know, you had to keep people beat down so that you could keep a good service going. Anyway, I could get off on that. I don't need to. So it's not based on an earnable, an earnable position. You are not going to earn your way to go in the rapture. And you're not going to get yourself good enough to go in the rapture. You see how the competition would be if we could, if we could earn that position? We would be vying against one another. And say, well, I'm living better than you. I'm going to dress holier than you. And that's how it gets started. You know, when you, when you preach a doctrine where that it's based on performance, where does it end? You know, before you know it, you're going to be off in a cave somewhere living like a monk, praying all the time. 
Anyway, we need to get started here. I'm never going to get done. <laughs> now, we will all come before the judgment seat of Christ. For 2 Corinthians 5.10. I want to read that. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Look at this. And, and as I said, we're going to do a whole lesson, and maybe a couple, on the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. We're going to explain to you why it's called Bema, what that means, all of these things, what you're going to experience when you get there, what's going to be brought up, what's not going to be brought up. But, but look at this. For we all must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now that's as plain as the nose on your face, isn't it? We're going to come before God as Christians. Huh? This is not talking about sinners. This is talking about people that are saved, that are going to heaven. They, we, are going to appear. We'll get into that word too. That's very interesting, that word appear. We're going to, we're going to appear before the judgment seat. And we are going to give an account for everything that we've done, whether it's good or bad. And I'm going to go ahead and end the question that I just saw pop up in a lot of heads. What about the sins that we've confessed and been forgiven? They're forgotten and will not be brought up. Yeah, they're gone. That's why it's important to do your confessing now instead of there. Amen? Because they should be, they've been some things that I've done. My God, I don't want everybody up there to see. What does the word say? From east to west? Yeah. They're, they're gone. They're west. cast away. Yes. It used to worry me about the great white throne judgment that that's when everybody will see all this. Stuff. Yes. We're going to be onlookers on that. And, and it won't happen that way. Now, so we will all become the before the judgment seat. And we're going to receive, I, I, I wrote that word up here for you, didn't I? Fanaru. Made known what was previously hidden, previously hidden by the flesh. Your flesh will fool you. You'll think that you're walking free of those things because of the way you feel. See? And it's, it's very deceptive. And so then komizo, which means to take care of. In other words, every issue in your heart Remember what I said the heart is. Do I need to repeat what the heart, what your heart is? It's not cardia. It's not the physical blood pump. The heart is that intermediary agency between your spirit and your soul. And it is the one that you use to conduct your life with. Your, your mind, will, and emotions is in that arena. The soul, more, more on the soulish side than it is in the, in the spirit side. But, but everything that you've hidden, you thought was covered, will be brought up. And everybody's going to stand there with you. And they're going to see these things. And you say, well, don't worry, because you're going to see theirs too. And the beauty part, beautiful part about it is we're going to enjoy the absolute forgiveness of all those things. Never to be remembered again. Standing before Jesus. Yes. Now, let's go on. We also covered about in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 8, how that there must be a rapture and why. 
Why must there be a rapture? And we talked about the word deparne, remember? That the, and I listed those names of those Bibles there for you that if you got some of those Bibles that were written before, I think, what, 1609 or whatever, all of those Bibles had the word deparne in them. It was not a falling away from the faith. It was the catching away of the church. And I've listed some references here. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 uh, it's the Greek word. The word, the word catching is not there in the original. It's the word up. And it's the word harpazo. And harpazo means to seize, to carry off by force, or to snatch out. So that catching away is talking about the rapture. And in 2 Thessalonians, when he lists that, it says the aforementioned departure. And that's, that's the verse he's referring to, the aforementioned one. He had talked to him in 1 Thessalonians about that in 4.17. So we must understand, this is the last thing we're going to do in this, in this uh, passing review, but we must understand the authority of the believer in order to understand end time events and why. It's interesting, Brother Sam, a while ago when I was on the phone with me, he sent me some messages, but he also sent me a PDF of Kenneth Hagin's book, The Authority of the Believer. And I've not owned one in 25 years. And so I'm looking forward to getting back in. It's, it's an excellent, excellent book. Uh, it's, it's one of the foundations of faith and, and trust in God. I think that's what Karen, for her first book to teach us. Really? Amen. Well, you know then. And what was the name of it? The Authority of the Believer. So... The reason why the rapture is that we must prevent the man of sin from being revealed. Until we're gone, he can't be revealed. These things will not process. They won't proceed. So, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, He that letteth will let until he be taken away. The word letteth is the Greek word kateko, kateko, which means detain, retain, that which hinders, that which hinders progress. So the enemy, our enemy today, he has a plan. God knows his plan. He's outlined it here in his word. But that plan of the enemies cannot proceed unless we're raptured out. Now, it's because there are some people of God on the earth that have authority. They know how to walk in authority. They are mature in the word of God. They are giants in the kingdom of God. But there's not that many. Because I know far too many Christians that are weak, that live on the milk of the Word all the time, never getting into the, the deepness of His Word. And it's those kinds of people that the enemy can take advantage of instead of us taking advantage of Him. See, So it's very, very... I can't keep stressing that enough tonight for some reason. It's very, very important that we grow in the Lord. Become mature in the Lord. So... Uh, we are the salt, the preserver of the earth. Now, before we get into this lesson, end time things are not hard to be understood. I always thought they were. But they're not hard to be understood unless you believe they are. So you go into it, and I've hoped that I've removed if there was any fear uh, or trepidation about your walk with God. I hope I've removed that so that you can look into these things with joy and happiness 
and really start growing in them and be able to convey this to your friends and relatives or whoever will listen to you. Uh, because God wants us to face the end times with joy and happiness. Because there, there's, no, there's no downside to it for us. Amen? All right. May I ask, I'm sorry. I'm... That's okay. I'll have to repeat the question because I'm taping. <laughs> um, you said a minute ago that, that the devil can't do something until who is gone? The church. The church. We the okay. church. Yes, that's the raptured people. That's why there must be a rapture so that he can uh, formulate his end time plan. But God already knows it. Okay, let's turn. I've got here Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2. It's not necessary, I guess, that you turn there, but you can read that on your own uh, time. But Daniel understood this, this end time uh, teaching uh, by books, it said. By books. Now, if Daniel can understand it by books, so can we. And then in Daniel the 12th chapter, in verse 9, it says that the books were closed up when, he, when it was about to reveal to him about the church age. That's when they were closed. Well, you know what? We're in the church age, almost 2,000 years, and it's not closed to us. God wants us to understand not only what Daniel believed and Daniel taught, his revelation, but he wants to understand these things that I'm sharing with you tonight because it's not closed up to us. Now, let's turn over to Matthew and get started. We're only going to get through part of uh, Matthew 24, and next week we're going to cover the three parables. Remember at some point that I was teaching to you, it might have been when I was visiting here, but I shared with you that in, when Jesus is dealing with parables, He's dealing with a topic, and He usually deals with that topic three times, three different parables. And so that's, what, that's the case with Matthew 24, starting, uh, let's see, with about verse 32 and all down through chapter 25. So we're going to deal with those three parables next week. But we're going to get to this in Matthew 23, 1 through 26, 1 is a full understanding of the tribulation period and why. Now look at Matthew 23 and look at here, let's see. Let's start with verse 1. I really would like to do uh, a verse by verse on 23, but I'm not going to because I want you to read that and I want you to understand what Jesus was saying there and why. Notice verse 1, it says, Then, now that word then is the Greek word tautu. Tauto. If we would look at it as an English word, it would look like it was tote. This is how it's spelled. Tote, but there's a little thing right here which means that it's a. So, tote. Every time the word then is used, that's the word. And it means sequence of events. I've put that later letter on in your notes, I think. But, but it, it's sequential. Matthew was a tax collector. He was very methodical in what he shared. His, his gospel is chronological. It, in, in studying his gospel, in his, in his writings, years and years ago, I stumbled up on the fact that, that Matthew recorded these things, you know, point by point, time slot by time slot, and realized that 
that's when I found out that most of what Jesus said in the four Gospels, most of this happened two to possibly three weeks before the crucifixion. Wow. Yes. Two to three weeks. Yes. And that's why we can look over in John, in the last part, chapter of John, and read there that, that the world could not contain the books if everything had been recorded that our Savior did while He was here in three and a half years. So that's, it's, that's because of Matthew's consistency in his writings. And so bear that in mind when we're studying these things. Now he said, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to His disciples. Can you see that? Saying, and this is the topic of chapter 23, Scribes and Pharisees. I've still got another message about Jesus and the Pharisees that I want to share with you. I shared out there at the little eating meeting we had at the park, but that was just the fun part of it. I, I want to share some things with you about the Pharisees that will really set you back. They were some evil, evil people. But it says the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, and so that's what he's going to talk about through the 23rd chapter. I mean, there's not one time in Jesus' whole ministry that He put down a sinner and mistreated him. But He constantly put down these guys and put them in their place. In fact, He got a whip and drove them out of the temple at one time. So I'm telling you, uh, we, we need to stay away from people that don't love Jesus. I'm not talking about just sinners. I'm talking about religious people. I mean, I hate a religious devil. I hate, when I was a young man, I just was thrilled to piss off a, a religious devil. I loved it. But I realized late in life that I'm not going to really win anybody to the Lord by making them angry. So I try to ask the Holy Spirit for what words I can say you know, that will, that will minister to them if, if it possible. Some people are just walled off. But anyway, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send laborers into the harvest and win those people to the Lord. But I wanted to point out to you, it's these scribes and Pharisees. In fact, they're the people that crucified Jesus. So that shows you what kind of... They had the spirit of murder. And let me go ahead and stay, step out on this. This will show you how bad the spirit of religion is. It, it is undergirded and supported by the spirit of murder. The spirit of what? Religion. So he says, look at this. All therefore whatsoever they bid you, observe. Why would he say that? Because they were bidding them the law. They were telling them the Mosaic law and, and giving them the word, see. He said, you go ahead and observe that. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Remember the old expression, was it over here in Oklahoma? Don't do as I say, do as I say. Don't do as I do, do as I say do. Y'all have heard that. Oh, yeah. We've all lived that out probably. <laughs> uh, he says, and then he goes on and says, For they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move with them one of their fingers. For all their works they do for to be seen of men, and make their broad and phylacteries, and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at the feasts, 
and the chief seats in the synagogue. Now he said this. It's real easy for me to get into verse by verse on 23. But just read it real slow and get you some reference books. and just. Look. But, but he said this to a multitude of Jews. A multitude, they say, is right at 6,000 people. So he spoke these things. It's no wonder they wanted to kill him. See, I mean, he was exposing them big time. It's sort of like what, uh, what uh, the Attorney General Barr is going to do for the Democrats. He's going to expose all that stuff that happened, and they ought to be exposed. It, it needs to come out in full view. So in, over in the book of James... Uh, as I've written there for a, a reference there for you. And, and in fact, look, I put the real name of the book of James there. You see that? It was, it was Jacob. It never was James. You say, well, why didn't they put that? Because the king's name was James. And he's the one had it translated. So it's the book of Jacob, but it, nevertheless, chapter 1, verse 22 and 25 is where he says there, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Notice what he said. Deceiving yourselves. So when you come in here, I'm going to make this personal tonight. When you come in here and sit in this class or in that congregation out there and hear the Word. I mean, people love to hear the Word, don't they? But if you hear the Word and don't become a doer of that Word, you're deceiving. Literally, one translation said, cheating your own self. By not, by not to, what is that, New King James? I, I really I like the New King James. I wish I had had one with all these notes that I've written over the New years. New King James is deceiving. Sometimes. But, but, but in a lot of times, they put the right word in there when the Old King James didn't. But, but not here is only deceiving or cheating yourselves. And then verse 25, I, I just feel like we need to go over there. Verse 25 in James 1. Jacob 1. Look at this. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty. And, and the word looketh here is paracrypto. Paracrypto, para always means beside. Like uh, if you're reading about Jesus when he was about to uh, preach to the people on the mount, uh, uh, when he pushed out in the boat. It said that he was par- he said he was beside the sea. The word beside there is para. So he was para the sea. He was right beside there. And so that's what this paracrypto is a picture of somebody that is trying to see so well into something that they stoop down and get very close to see it. And so that is a picture of how you and I, our posture needs to be in seeking the Word of God and searching it out. Get to the point where you are stooped down, not, not physically, but, but you know, in mind, in, in your, your emotional condition, that you are so intent on peering into these things that you're not going to let anybody keep you away from it. He says, what are you peering into or, or, or looking into? The perfect law of liberty. Now let me tell you why that word is so important. Because the law of Moses was not described as the law of liberty. But the law in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 and 2, the law that is 
given to us, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made you free from the law of sin and death. That is a description of what the law of Moses was. It was a law of sin and death. It presided over the fallen race of humanity and had to meet them in the condition of how we lived our life in this flesh. But now that we've become born again, we have now a new law. It's the law of the Spirit of life. And it makes us free. Glory to God. And we do not have to ever walk according to that law. I'm not exempting the Ten Commandments with that. Because the perfect law of liberty, because of who you are and your brand new spirit, enables you, or empower you would be a better word, empowers you to walk and live out all of the Ten Commandments of God. It's not impossible anymore, see? Y'all get anything out of that? To me, that sounds like good news. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So, the perfect law of liberty, and continueth in it. Continue it. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, ergon, this man shall be blessed in his deed. It's a Greek word, poema, in the habit of doing. Amen? So that, that is the condition that we have uh, in Christ, and we need to take advantage of that. Now, let's turn to Matthew 24 again. Matthew 24, and we'll begin here. Now, Matthew 24, we're going to talk about the three questions that they ask Him. Now, one thing about reading and studying after Jesus is that when He is asked a question, He answers it thoroughly. And not knowing that has caused a lot of people to read over His answers. A great man of God that I know asked the Lord one time. He said, where are the greatest revelations in your word? And God spoke to him, he said, in the verses that most people leave out. So every verse, every word is full of life and has something to deposit on the inside of us. And we need to get into that. So, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and His disciples came to Him for to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Now the things that He was talking about were the jewels that they had put in the stones of the temple. It was beautiful. Glistened. Can you imagine? You know, we have some description of the, of the gates of heaven. And the onyx and the barrel and the all you know all the wonderful things that's in that. So so that is that was put in the temple, and Jesus was saying, and pointing to those little facets of jewels in that temple, and said, "You see these? Look at what he says. There shall not be left here one of these gems upon another that shall not be thrown down." And as he said, I mean, this, this really astounded these guys. They had never heard anything like that in their life. For someone to say that about the temple? I mean, they worshipped that thing. Remember what the woman said at the well 
about worship. He said, well, you know, we have the temple we worship at. So, so there's, there's a little insight right there. You can go in and, and, and investigate that. But he said, they came to him in utter desperation because he said, tell us when these things shall be. That's the first question. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Wrong. It's the end of the age. It's aeon. The end of the age. Now, and Jesus answered and said unto him, unto them actually, just his disciples, not the multitude now. He said, This is a lesson for the disciples. Because you see, these disciples later became apostles. And they were going to be in charge of keeping the Word of God safe throughout the earth. And He knew what was coming ahead. Jesus did not at one point tell them, did not at one point tell them before He was crucified, all that stuff that I've been teaching you, just forget it, it's not any good now, that we're coming into a new different age. He never said that. Why? Because the Gospel of the Kingdom started with Adam and it ended with Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom is what Jesus preached. See, several years ago before the Holy Spirit corrected me about my grace theology, I used to teach and preach that all those things were not appropriate what Jesus said about don't do this and don't do that. and You know, all the little things He said. But the Holy Spirit showed me that the gospel of the kingdom has not changed. It wasn't that Jesus taught the law. I know one grace teacher that, that was a friend of mine. He won't be a friend of mine now. But what he said that Jesus taught the law but raised it to the level of the heart. And that kind of satisfied us because we knew something was different. But that's not it at all. He taught the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what we're preaching, the gospel of the kingdom. It's never changed. It's always been the same. Every man of God that lived thousands, or not thousands, hundreds of years preached the gospel. Noah preached the gospel. Enoch preached the gospel. All of those great men of God preached the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom. Now, to put that out of the way, uh, he said, Take heed. Well, he said, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed. That means pay close attention. When Jesus says to take heed, that means you need to get a magnifying glass and really focus on what He's about to say. He said, take heed that no man deceive you. That's going to show up a little later in their teaching. Because, you know, it's almost 7.20. Take heed that no man deceives you, for many shall come in My name saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. And you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See, I want to put it this way, see to it that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, and these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, as I said a while ago about the word tote, it's the next and sequential. It, then he says, then, tote, 
they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. It's the Greek word philipsis, and it's the word translated tribulation. This is the beginning, he said, of, of sorrows. And then, at that point in time, after verses 4 through 8 are complete, verses 4 through 8 are the only time that Jesus gave an inference to the church. Because they didn't know to ask Him about a church. It hadn't come into existence yet. The church was non-existent. It did not come into play until the day of Pentecost. That's when the church was born. See, So He couldn't talk about that. Uh, so they came to Him pri privately contrasting chapter 23, which He spoke, as I said, to the multitude. And then 24.3, He only spoke to His disciples. Now He says, when will the fall of Jerusalem happen? That is the first question. It's because of what He said about the stones. He said they're going to be falling down. And, and they, I mean, that, that astounded them. Because they, Jesus just said that Jerusalem was going to fall. And as I put here for you, it, or did I? Yeah, it happened in A.D. 70. In fact, I had the opportunity to go to Masada. Anybody ever heard of Masada? It's a place out near the Dead Sea where that the, where that the Jews that had been driven out of Jerusalem went to this huge mountain with a flat top on it. And we went up there. We took a trolley up there and went up there and looked around. And there is still jars of figs that have turned to stone sitting there. But they went up there and they stayed three years on the top of Masada fighting the Romans and the people that overthrew Jerusalem. And the Romans built, kept building these big ramps with earth and, and rocks and finally built it up high enough where they went up there and slaughtered those people too. So when Jerusalem fell, the Jews, the Israelis if you want to call them that, were spread all over the world. And that's when James wrote this book and said to you that are scattered. It's the Diaspora. And that's when the Diaspora happened in A.D. 70. Now something else, I'm not prepared to really get into this a lot, but from the time of Abel all the way to Zechariah and then up until right now, the Jews have not had the kind of relationship with God that He intended. The Jews right now, the Orthodox Jew, do not believe in Jesus Christ. They do not believe He is the Messiah. And uh, Judaism is not for us. Any part of it. Don't go to a Masonic Jewish Christian temple and go through all the Seder dinners. I mean, I've done it. I've, I know I've experienced all that. I had Seder dinner when I was in Israel. But... And it's kind of neat. It's kind of because we're Christians and we can see the semblances. We can see the, the conclusions that, you know, now, oh yeah, that was Jesus. They can't see that. They do not believe. They are still waiting for the Messiah to come. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Christ. They're still waiting for Him, you see. And they do not believe that He has come. So, he said, then, what is the sign of the second advent? What is the time of your coming? When are you going to come? So, he answers that question. And then the last question they asked him was, 
When is the end of the age? He's not talking about the church age, remember? You know, growing up in the hills of Tennessee, we heard preachers preach about the end of the world's coming, bless God. And they'd use these things, you know, and preach. And, and bless their hearts, they did the best they could. But I'm telling you, this is the age of, the, of 1 Corinthians 14 when people will begin to pray the mysteries out from God and will expose secrets that's not been known uh, since the days of the disciples. And yea, ye are some of those people, saith the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Well, that's a pretty cool word to hear tonight, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. I feel a chill bump big enough to hang a hat on on that. So the end of the age is not talking about the, the end of the church age. It's the end of the tribulation. Because that's when it's, as the old proverbial saying is, all of us have heard, that's when it really hits the fan, <laughs> so to speak. What verse are you on? I'm still talking about uh, Matthew 24, about verse 3. Okay. Still talking about that. Now, he said, For many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, and shall deceive many. And then he says, you're going to hear wars, rumors of wars, see to it that you're not troubled. But the end of the age is not yet. Remember I said verses 4 through 8 is really talking about you and I. And we're going to see some of these things happen. We see some of it happen now. See to it that you're not troubled. When you see our government be toppled, see to it that you're not troubled. Jesus said in John 14, be not troubled. He was import, it was important for Him to, to let us know we are not to be troubled. We're not to be disturbed. We're to walk in His peace and in His love and not be moved by these things the world's going through. It has to happen. It wouldn't surprise me. Now, I'm going to step out on a limb here because I'm not a professional end-time teacher. But I'm going to step out on a, on a limb here and say something to you that I have no way of validating this. But because I cannot find America, and John may have it in his book, I don't know, I don't remember, it's been a while. But because America is not really talked about, it may not be a nation then. I mean, there's forces out there right now trying to not make it be a nation. We, vote, we don't really have a southern border. And so they're coming in. I mean, it could be the fall of our, our, our government. But see to it that you're not troubled. How do you see to it, brother? You get in your face before God instead of Facebook and seek Him. Facebook and the news will drive you insane. I mean, I look at it every day myself. I'm always using it for a communication tool. But, but you can't go to that or to the news to find your joy and peace. They don't have any. You got a bunch of complainers on Facebook about everything that is going on. That ain't going to help nothing. Then you got the government don't care what we think. They're just doing it all. So see to it, people. I don't know what's to come. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to let us know if we'll if we'll seek His face. He He's inside us. He'll let us know about the. So just take take solace in that. See to it that you're not troubled. Don't let these things get get to you because these things are going to happen. So. As I said here in your notes, uh, they did not ask him about the church age or the rapture. They knew nothing about it. If he was to talk about it, they'd look at him kind of like, you know, you ever seen them little puppies look at you? 
That's kind of what the, what are you talking? Because there, there, church is the Greek word ekklesia. And they would say, Jesus, which means called out ones. What are you talking about? He, they didn't even have a concept of an ekklesia. So, the church age was to be revealed by the Apostle Paul's ministry. And I've listed there where you can go and read about that. There's no reason for me to. So, number four here, I've already taught about the events leading up to the end of the church age. The beginning of sorrows. Be not troubled. Thoreo. Literally, be not afraid. In, in fact, the word be and troubled is the same word. It's a, it, so it's a double uh, uh, warning there. Do not. In, back in Mark 13, 7. Same account. So, when we see these things happen, don't be troubled. Most people are. There's a lot of people today that spend their time. Sam and I talked about this because we had four hours together in the car. <laughs> uh, there's preachers out there. We, and I'm so glad to hear him because I personally, and he couldn't either, watch these preachers on TV. None of them. None of them. They've made such a mess out of the body of Christ. But there's people out there on TV teaching things about these issues I'm talking about tonight that's got half the Christian world upset and afraid, wanting to go and, and move to Montana or somewhere. Well, he's in Montana, but you know, move to some desert or something and hide. You know, God, that's not God's will for us to go hide. Praise God. Occupy till I come. <laughs> yes. So, don't be troubled. Matthew 24, 9 through 14. We want to read that, but I'm not going to re read all these things to you here. Uh, 24, 9 says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall, and there's that word, tote again, shall many, uh, many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The word iniquity is the Greek word which means rebellion. Lawless, it's translated lawlessness and some other, but actually it is a rebellion to legality. It's a rebellion. They don't want to be governed. And so he says, because that iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now notice, this is not talking about us. Verse 8 stopped with us. He's talking about tribulation period now. This is what's going to be taking place. But he that shall endure to the end the same shall be saved. The end of what? Hmm? Tribulation. Not church age. Because you know what? Your salvation does not depend on your endurance. It depends on your faith in God. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The end of the tribulation. When this gospel of the kingdom... That's another thing that's been dragged, out, lifted out of context, dragged over into the church, 
and said, you know, this message has got to be preached to all the world. I know Paul and Jan Crouch, they, they capitalized on that with TBN out from California and said, we've got to get a lot of satellites up because we've got to preach this gospel to the end. And then the end. All right. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 once again. Romans 8. We're going to take up where we left off Sunday. That message wasn't recorded, but I still want to delve into some things. And like I shared with you, the, uh, the Holy Spirit won't let me get into the uh, judgment seat yet. So we're going to have to deal with spirit, soul, and body first. I don't know why. And, and, and plus, I just heard that you guys have been through it twice. So we're going to share some things. And maybe there will be a little different uh, perspective on that for you. Clear up some things if there's any muddy water, whatever. But here in Romans chapter 8, as I told you Sunday, Romans 8 is the pivotal point or the peak of the revelation that the book of Romans has. And it's very, very important that you understand the entire book, that get the entire picture of what it is about. It was written to a Jewish community in Rome, and they were having trouble on different issues, wanting to go back into the law, wanting to incorporate the law. And so Paul deals with these issues, and he presents us a problem in chapter 7, which is basically about a Jewish man that cannot keep the law and he's frustrated. And I depicted for you the uh, ancient story about the torture of a murderer, remember? Where that they would tie that dead body on that man's back until it killed him. And nobody could take it off because through penalty of law, uh, of death rather, they were, you know, they would nobody would help them. They'd just watch them walk around town and you know, sit around with that dead person. I mean, it's, it, you ought to look at the history of the Romans sit around and, and made up torture ways to, to torture people. I mean, it, it's incredible that mankind would stoop to that level. And so then Paul gives the answer in Romans seven twenty five. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer to who would deliver. Because, you see, Jesus knew there was a dead man on our back. And we were being dragged down by it. We couldn't please God uh, with keeping the law. Mankind was in a dilemma. We had no way of freeing ourselves. And uh, the best efforts that they did, they could go and keep making sacrifice after sacrifice, but never could walk free. If the law could make you free, then Jesus would not have had to come, would He? That's right. And so then He says, so then. And that, kind of, that word little so then there is kind of a conclusionary statement. So He said, I, with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And so then the next statement is so huge. There is therefore, because of what He just said, what Jesus did for us, took our place, got the dead man off of us. We're walking now, and as He said in I think it's the 7th chapter where He says that, in the newness of life, newness of spirit. See? So, 
the dilemma that mankind was faced with is that we all had a spirit, a human spirit, from Adam that was separated from the life-giving forces of God. And we couldn't contact Him other than through a priest, through certain sacrifices that we kept, then mankind could communicate on a, on a level, on a certain level, but there was, no, there was no such thing as intimacy with God. Now, if you'll pay attention to some of the religious things in the world, the religious people in the world, especially with religions like Islam, their God is not love. And they'll flat out tell you that. He's angry. He's, he's out to get you. He wants to be pleased. He wants you acting certain ways. And so, there's no way to appease their God, which I think they call Him Allah or something like that. It's a demon spirit. But, uh, but there's no way to please Him. The contrast is with our Heavenly Father, He is and always has been love. And He's wanted to give His love to mankind. But since the high treason in the Garden of Eden, He was, at, he was literally, and I know this tramples on some religious thought, but He was literally on the outside looking in. Mankind separated himself from God, disobeyed him, and, and he couldn't just overlook that, you know. So something had to be done. And so what was done here, and it leads us up to verse 1, there is therefore now no condemning sentence that can be imposed upon us and carried out. And see, the picture in the mind is still there with these guys he's talking to of that guy with the dead body on his back. See, that, that, that sentence was carried out on him, imposed on him, and it was going to kill him. So mankind had the sentence of death. So, so because of what Jesus did, we have no condemning sentence. There, there, there is no way. And so then He says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that's not there in the original Greek, that last statement, but it's understood because it is in a few verses here. And then the word two, or excuse me, verse two, the word four, as I was sharing Wednesday, I mean, it's Sunday, and I, and I hope you don't mind me going over this. I want to refresh some things for us. Uh, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, those people understood right, right away the two different sets the law of the Spirit of life and the law of sin and death. When he said the law of sin and death, he knew that was the Mosaic law. It was given, it was, the, it was administered by Moses to control the flesh, and it was very weak through the flesh, couldn't really do a thorough job. But then, when he brings up this, the law of the Spirit of life, they've never heard stuff like that before. In Christ Jesus has made us free. And so he said, for what the law couldn't do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His only Son uh, in, the form, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So then we, let's skip on down because I went through this. I don't want to get bogged down. Every time I start seeing this, these premeditated things in my brain go off that I've premeditated all this before and, and it's hard not to talk about them. So let's go on down to, uh, let's see, verse 11. So if the, if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead 
dwell in you. Let that sink in. Most of, the, most of the revelation about God is found in the verses a lot of us leave out. We read over them. If the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Now how many knows that when you're born again, His Spirit dwells in you? That's a hands down. But I've got to tell you that's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about this Spirit that you got when you were born again. This brand new, recreated human Spirit is what raised Jesus from the dead. Because it's life. We'll get into that later. This Spirit is life. You have life on the inside of you. How many ever watched the, the Green Mile? The movie The Green Mile? Remember that woman saying to that guy at the very end, he, she said, you mean he infected you with life? And when I heard that, I said, that's exactly what God did. He infected us with life. He put a brand new spirit in us that's called the Spirit of Christ. Now, you're not Christ, and you don't have His personal spirit. You have yours. But that word of there is the key to understanding the Spirit of, or the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Christ. It means the Spirit from Him. So, And I'm not pushing the Holy Spirit out. He has a very big role to play in our lives. Uh, or to perform, I should say. In, in our lives. But he, but he says here, he says, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, Old English meaning make alive, quicken, anytime you hear and read the word quicken in the New Testament, it's always talking about a spirit. It's talking about your spirit most of the time. It's not just talking about flesh coming back to life. If you were dead, if you died right now, and I walked over there and brought you back to life, I, it, you would be quickened but, but in, in, a, in a measure, but it's not talking about physical raising people from the dead. So he said, if that spirit dwells in you... Now the word dwell, katoikesai, whatever that matters to you, it, it means to dwell, permanently reside. Live, have free course, have. It, it's just like when one of your kids comes to your house, uh, you know, your grown kids, they come in, they open the refrigerator door, they help themselves. You don't think anything about it. Why? Because they dwell there. They're part of your household. Even though they live somewhere else, they're part of your household. So that's, that's the picture of this word dwell here. If, it, if that spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell, live. In South Georgia, they call it house down. You know where I got that from? I mentioned this writer, this uh, Greek scholar, Sunday from Clarence Jordan. He wrote the Cotton Patch translation of the New Testament. I have it back there. It's, it's, it's really a neat translation, but it's, it's, it's all Southern English. Uh, and all the cities are, about it, are, are in Georgia. At, Atlanta is Jerusalem. And it's just really a neat, it's a neat read. But he's got, he's got some real revelation on some Greek things in there. 
But that word dwell in South Georgia meant house down. If Clarence Jordan was writing that, he would say, if the Spirit, which is from God, house downs in you, or houses down in you, become comfortable. See, See that's the key. You say, why are you emphasizing that? Because a lot of us, in fact, some people that probably will hear this message don't even know they're a spirit. So how can they be comfortable in it? And not only that, we may know that we're a spirit, but we won't let Him speak. What is the language of your spirit? Tongues. Tongues is the language of your spirit. And, and if you wait till you get to heaven to speak it, which I believe everybody there does. I think I heard uh, it was either Rick Joyner or Dean Braxton won anyway, they said, everybody there speaks in tongues. Everybody there has their own language. But, you, but everybody understands everybody. So don't wait. Get, get used to that language now. And so he says that that spirit that's dwelling in you will quicken, make alive your, look what he said, your mortal, subject to death, bodies. Mortal bodies by how? How is He going to quicken? By His Spirit that dwells in you. That's the agency. Any time now that you receive a healing, that's the quickening from the Spirit. That's that life. Any time. Think back now. Those of us that have received healing, that's where it came from. That quickening, that life. We literally, and I don't mean to just carry on about that Green Mile movie, but but we can infect people with life. We can. Jesus came. The Father gave Jesus to have life within Himself. Jesus came then to give life to us to have life within ourselves. Now you and I have come, and we can give life to people. People that are not born again, we can give this life to them. See? Alright, now. He said, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you'll die. If you live after the flesh, you will die. What does that mean? What does living after the flesh means? We're in this, these bodies. I, I, you know, it kind of makes me angry that God left us in these. Because I have to make it do what it doesn't want to do every day of my life. Carnality? Yes. So if you live after it, you're going to die. You're going to receive death. A, a, a sentence. But, if now notice this. If you, through Spirit, I know it says King James here, the Spirit, but it's, it's not got a definite article. So that is not talking about the Holy Spirit. If you, through this Spirit that you have, the real you, mortify, which means to bring to a standstill. It's where we get our word mortar, for, mortar from when we put bricks in. They get it from the funeral home. You know, uh, rig mortis when it sets in. You're stiff. You're not moving. And so that's what he's saying. You bringing 
by that Spirit in you, this is what I'm talking about, being, be, walking and being led by your Spirit. We, we, because ministers have not understood this little concept, they've rolled it all on the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. Because they always thought that that was talking about the Holy Ghost. But now think about this. How, how ridiculous is it for me to think that I can use the Holy Ghost to control me. I can't use Him for anything. He's God. See? He's given it to me. He's given it into my ability to walk after this new nature that I now have to bring to a halt and a standstill the deeds that this body wants to do. See? That's the way God wants us to live and be growing up. That's maturing. That's called maturing. Learning how to listen to your spirit. See, if it was like it's always been preached, then God would be in charge of everything we do. And listen, if God was in charge of everything I do, I wouldn't do anything wrong. But He's not. I'm in charge of me. And a lot of times I've done a poor job of it. But I'm in charge of this thing that I live in, see. This, this sarex, this, bo- this body here, it, it, this, this big circle is what I call the body because I have a big one. But, uh, and then of this soul here, and this is the heart. We're going to have this on a sheet for you next week. Now, this body, this is, this is the Greek word soma. This body that you live in is what we are going to give answer to or for when we get to that judgment seat. That we're going to get to that lesson here in a few weeks. So, we, this spirit, is in charge of this body to make it do or keep it from doing something it shouldn't do. You you got that? This soul area... Soul is comprised of mind, will, and emotions. Spirit is conscience. It is communion. It is intuition. Human beings don't have instinct. Animals do. But but we we have communion with God through spirit. You can't contact Him with soul. God's not a soul. He's a spirit. So you can contact Him with, with your spirit. See, That's how you communicate. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto... And the word unto is what Greek word? I've said it enough. E-I-S. Ice. It means into. He speaketh not into men. That's what I tell my precious little Baptist friends. You know, when they say, well, you know, that's just a foreign language talking. No, no, no. no. It said, I'm not talking to human beings when I'm speaking in my tongue, my prayer language. I'm speaking ice into God. Think of that. You, by an act of your will, are speaking divine secrets concerning all about your life into God. And God wants to unfold those secrets to you. 
Everything that has to do with you. You're praying that. It's right out of this spirit. See? Because you, because you see, your spirit, there's nothing wrong with it. There's something wrong here. When you're born again, your spirit is born of God. Your soul is being born again, so to speak. That's really not an accurate term, but right now for these purposes, it's being transformed. It's being, see. A lot of mind renewal has to do with that, but you're not trying to renew the mind that's in the soul. Your soul, your soul basically has two minds. It has a mind of the spirit. See this, this heart circle, how it encompasses part of your spirit and part of your soul? This heart is the, is the doorway and whatever you allow into your heart comes in. What you don't allow can't come in. And so this heart also houses the mind of Christ, which is in your spirit. And as you pray in the spirit, and he steps you through his pages in his word, and starts growing you up, your, your, the mind of your spirit begins to be renewed and you start walking as a righteous person. Uh, unfortunately, and I say this really with a heavy heart, unfortunately, most ministries, most churches, most preachers try their best to renew this mind and get you to walk the way you're supposed to walk. And they shame you if you don't. See? And you can never ever accomplish mind renewal on that level to the place where you can walk like your spirit can walk. You can, you can never get there. It's a, it's a life of frustration. It's a life of up and down. It's a life uh, of you know, repentance every day. Oh God, I didn't mean to do... You, know, you, you, can't, you have to mortify the deeds of the body through your spirit. Not through your mind. Not through your soul. Not through strong will and, and discipline. You, you just can't do it, see. Remember the little story I told about that Sunday? One, la one lady decided on New Year's Day she was going to go on a diet. And so she swore off pie and everything else she shouldn't eat. And, she, and through sheer willpower, she managed to make it 60 days. Finally, they got a call at the police department where she had broke into the pie factory and was eating everything inside. And so the pastor comes and sees her and she says, but where did I go wrong? You can't do it on your own. If you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of your body to eat pie, you're going to eat pie if you don't. <laughs> Amen? As you can see, I've not been real studious about that. I plan to though. Amen? Never do today what you can put off till tomorrow. <laughs> oh, help us Jesus. So he says here then, you see why the Holy Spirit wants us to, to study this thing before we get in? Because you'll understand you, you'll understand when you, get, when you get to the judgment seat, to the Bema seat, you won't have condemnation. See? And not only that, but if we can get all this working, 
there's going to be very little he's going to have to bring up. Amen? Because it's all going to be under the blood. It's going to be forgiven, going to be dealt with. You know, he won't bring that up. But all these little emphases and these things in our spirit, or excuse me, in our soul that's not been confessed, that's not been dealt with, that we may have forgot about, it's all going to come up. And we'll get into that. But notice this. He says, if you do that, then you're going to live. In other words, you're going to experience the life of God through this process of mortification and purging. That's basically the same thing. Hold your finger there and turn with me over here to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 1. For a long time, I did not understand this. I was confused. I'm telling you, I just could not see. And I even tried to make some words mean what I wanted it to mean and because I just couldn't see it. But I want you to know, when John started teaching here in, uh, I guess it was uh, chapter 14, he begins to teach on the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives. And I want you to notice here, by the time he gets to verse 1 of chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. That kind of indicates there's other vines. And my Father is the husbandman or the farmer. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, how many knows that it's God's will for you to produce fruit in your life for the kingdom of God? When I had this young lady Sunday draw that on the board there, she put one of the blocks had wood. But what we should have done, if I'd have taken time, we should have put all the fruit of the Spirit in those blocks. Because the fruit of the Spirit, it's not, not the Holy Spirit, the fruit of your Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, faith, and against such there is no law. Think on these things he's talking about. So you see, all those are the building blocks. That's how we grow, is through these, the fruit of the Spirit. So God wants you and I to have divine results in our life. So instead of us thinking that this verse was talking about people, He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and every branch in Me that bears not fruit, He takes away. Those non-productive branches, He clips off. They're dead. We're all involved in dead works at one time or the other in our life. A dead work and a good work can be exactly the same action. Exactly. I mean, here, let's take, let's take uh, Joanne and, and Laureen here. Laureen. Laureen. I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> Terry said, if you don't quit calling her, what was it? Louise, she's going to get back. <laughs> so let's take them and say, okay, uh, Joanne has her heart right with the Lord and she's worshiping Him and she's praising Him there in church and the offering plate comes around. And so she, she's already prayed and the Lord has spoken to her what she needs to give. And so she gives that money, say $20 bill. She gives that money in the plate, rejoices and thanks God and that's good. But Lorraine has got odd against somebody. Her heart's not right with God at that point in time. But she's still going to go through the motion and giving the $20 bill. See, So, 
The one that she gives will not be received. God cannot bless that, cannot honor that. But the one that Joanne gives can't, see. That's why I'm saying a good work and a dead work can be the same action. Now, I'm just using money because it's simple. But it can be anything. And when I do finally get to teach on finances, you're going to hear this a lot. Any giving that you do, that when you do it, you think that it places you in a place with God that you did not previously have, you have catapulted yourself out of grace and into works. Any giving. I don't care if it's going outside and helping somebody into the church. If you're doing it to be seen. If you're doing it for the wrong motive. If you're, if you're not walking in the love of God. It's of no value. See? Amen. I mean, I'm sure that person appreciates it. I mean, I don't care if all of you give for the wrong reason. You know, all your $20 bills. I'll use it. Me and Lorraine will use it. Bless God. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I want you to be blessed. That's, it. My, that's my whole motive for teaching in the first place. I want to lead us all to a place of productivity. Now, so he says here then, in, in John 15 again, he says he purges the next, the one, that, the one that does bear fruit. He purges. And the word purge is the Greek word which means cleanse in the next in the next verse let's see when is it yeah in the next verse he says now you are clean same exact word as purge we're going to get to a little later probably not tonight but where the word purge is used and uh, it's the Greek word katharos different tenses of it I'll use but guess what that word cleanse really means we have any nurses in here? Any medical people? That word for purge or cleanse is the word for catheter. It means to drain off poison out of your life. See? And that's what this purging process is for. There's poisons in our heart that we've allowed and, be, and participated in that's, that's keeping us from being productive and maybe some, some parts of our lives are even dead because of that poison you see. And so the Holy Spirit wants to engage with us in our walk so that He can purge everything off of us yeah. that, that hinders our production, mm-hmm. our divine results that we want to produce in our life, everyday life. And did you say Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit does, yes. He wants to work with our spirit to purge. Now, the way that this purging process happens, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear this. I can't help it. But this this is exactly how the purging process... I never did like to hear preachers tell me to do stuff and not tell me how. See, So the way that this purging process, and all of you may be sitting there right now thinking of stuff in your life that is hanging over your head that keeps you from really doing the will of God or whatever it may be. Uh, and, and that's not my point of my message tonight is to bring condemnation. That, not at all. But the way, the method that He uses to purge you is this gift of tongues, this prayer language. And as you begin praying in that, He begins working that in you, that plan, which we'll get into in a minute, 
That plan that was set in you from before the foundation of the world. When you became born again, a divine plan of God for your whole life was set in your spirit at that point in time. When you became born again, the whole blueprint is here. It's in minute form. It's not, it's not, it's not been developed. It's not been the pages. Have, how many has ever looked at a, a set of blueprint plans? I mean, they're detailed. I mean, everything. Uh, and, and so that's inside you. But in order to get that plan in production, you're going to have to deal with some issues in your heart. You're going to have to get into mortification or the purging process, as we're calling it, so that these non-productive limbs and the ones that are just dead... Uh, let's see, what can I use? A dead limb. A dead limb in my life was tobacco. I liked smoking cigarettes, boy. I mean, I started out real young, uh, you know, 13, 14 years old, uh, and we would go to abandoned cars and pick out those cigarette butts and smoke those stupid things. I mean, I can remember lighting one and bugs would come out. You talk about a dead limb. I did. I didn't know it. I would. I had never heard about this stuff until I don't know. It's been thirty years now, but but still, I mean, those those dead limbs are deadly. See, and so I quit. You know, after I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I quit. But that want to was there. Every time I got done eating a good supper with biscuits and gravy and all this stuff, chicken, I wanted one so bad. But I said no. And I, through this side of my being, through the soulish side, I controlled it as much as I could. But the want to was there. And I've told you how that left in one of my fasting sessions after it was done. It's gone. I don't even, I don't even, I don't even think about it when I see people smoke it. But any, anyway, uh, let's see. Do we want to go any further here? No. Let's go back to Romans 8. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Yes. Are you sitting there thinking, well, we've heard this before. No. <laughs> now, verse 14 starts with a four. What did I say the four meant? Explanatory. It's an explanation. Four. As many as are led by the Spirit which is from God. That, that word... Spirit should have a little S on it. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. I know we've preached it for that that way for, I don't know, decades and decades. That this was the Holy... It's not. Not. For as many... See, it's an explanation of what He just said. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you're not a son of God, you can't be led by your Spirit. Because he just had said a few verses before, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. He's, he's not even a child. He's not even born again. He's not even God's. So when you start walking after your Spirit, that's when you are, are beginning to grow up. And this word here indicates maturity. In fact, some translations translates that. Then are you the matured sons of God. 
I don't like using it that way because there's a lot of people that think they are and they're not mature. They just have a lot of heady, high knowledge, head knowledge. He says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Notice how he said that. For you have not received the spirit of of bondage again. It's not anything like the spirit that you did have. The spirit that you did have, the spirit of Adam, uh, was full of fear and torment, inability to produce results, couldn't really do anything for the kingdom of God. That other spirit needed saving. It needed to be transformed. It needed to be new. He says, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But here is the... He's beginning to talk about the condition, or maybe I should say the integrity of your spirit now. He says, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba is a word that can be translated Daddy, but even that is a little obscure. What this is talking about, Lizzie, literally, is a brand new family relation. Because you've got this brand new spirit, it's from God. He's your Father now. He's not just God, He's Father. You notice, ever notice when I pray, that's how I talk to Him? I very seldom say, God, do this. When you say God, you're really talking about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But specifically, most of my praying is done to the Father in Jesus' name. I try to honor Him that way. So He says then, we cry, Abba, Father, with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities of sons, we have that. Glory to God. We may not know how to walk in it yet. You know, we may just be a baby sitting with our thumb in our mouth, you know, and whining and stuff. But, but still, we, we're a son. You have all, the, you have all the, the benefits that are included in being in a family. It's not something you just joined like uh, the Moose Club. It's, it's not, you know, you can't, you can't just join this and become a member. You have to be born. Y'all know that, don't you? So, verse 16 now is the first time that he mentions the Holy Spirit. And this, this Spirit should be capitalized. The Spirit, which has the definite article, the Spirit, and the word itself is a poor translation, it should be Himself. Do some of your other translations say that? Himself. Yeah, that's the way it should be. Himself beareth witness with our spirit... It's interesting here. Glory to God. I see these little words and it just goes off in me. And I, it's real easy to get bogged down. But let me, let me just share this piece of gold nugget with you. This word beareth witness with you, it means to have two signatures. You've got God's signature and your signature and they're the same. Glory to God. It's a point of identity. He said He bears witness with our spirit that we are. You have the two signatures. We are children of God. Aren't you? You sleepy? (laughs) Now notice this. Here's some some conditions. If children... How many believes now that if everybody in here that's born again, you're a child of God. If you are... It's first class conditional phrase here in the Greek. means assuming that it is fact. Then heirs... 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified together. Hallelujah. You say, you know, a lot of people run off on that and create some bad doctrines about suffering. It's talking about living in this piece of meat that we all live in, this soma. You don't believe it's suffering, you wait till it wants a stack of pancakes and say no to it. I know that from first-hand experience. So we're, we're going to be glorified together, all of us together. We're all kin to one another. Verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present day, or present time, this season actually, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us as these as this purging process happens and you continue to pray in the Spirit and He downloads revelation to you, then you're going to be changed into that, that you've been, that's been revealed to you. You're changed. 1 Corinthians 3, remember? You're changed. Let's just look at that. That just came into my spirit. Let's, let's just look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I shouted all over my office the day this was downloaded to me. Let's see. It's 2 Corinthians 3. Now notice that. I can't go through and do all the backtracking on this chapter. Okay, so don't hold me to it. I, I mean, we'd be here till 9 o'clock if I... But, but go on down through here. He's talking about... I call this... When I do this message, it's called the Moses Syndrome. Uh, it has to do with religious, religious, religious addictions or legalism and Phariseeism. But anyway, he, he goes on and, and there's a comparison between the first administration, which in verse 7, it's the administration of death. That was the Old Testament, wasn't it? That was the law. That's the, it, it, was an, it was an administrator over death because we were all held in it. We, we were separated from the life-giving forces of God. So he goes on down, he said, and talks about the, uh, the administration of glory, which is what we have now. But now, look at this. Uh, Verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness, it should be boldness, parisia is the word, great boldness of speech. And notice this, and not as Moses. Exodus 34.29, if you want to write that down and go look at what Moses did. Remember that's when he went up on the mountain and came back down with his, head, with his face shining so much? One translation said he had horns even. But it was flashes of light coming off of him. And, and so he, he got to realizing that every time he came back down there, those people were just uh, ecstatic. And, 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 but it, then, then, his, then his shininess <laughs> faded because his anointing was skin deep. Your anointing is not. Your anointing is in your spirit. It's not skin deep. But anyway, let's go on down. He said they couldn't steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. We've been covering that with eschatology here recently about their blindness, which is done away in Christ 
But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their face. Nevertheless, when it, that is Israel and its heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil will be taken away. And that's going to be in the seven year period of tribulation, remember? Now, the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Now let me show you how this is worded in the Greek. They read from left to right in the Greek, just like they did the Hebrew, from left to right. And so when this, when this was said, when this was printed, here's the way that it really reads. Now the Lord is that Spirit. He's talking about the quality of Spirit that you have. And where the Spirit is Lord, there's liberty. Now don't, don't get real religious about me using the word Lord. It just means the, it means the one in control, the one that is overall in, in charge. When your Spirit is in charge of you and your activities, there is great liberty. Meaning there's nothing you can't do. Because you, you come pre-programmed with the anointing of God. And as you grow in His Word and become mature, more mature in the Lord, I'm telling you, the liberty that you're going to have, it, it's going to be it, completely set free in every facet of your life. That's what He's indicating here. But see, we've put all this off on the Holy Ghost, which is really a cop-out. It's a cop-out to keep people from growing and taking personal responsibility. God is not in charge of us living for Him. We're in charge of that, see. That's what brings Him glory. I mean, if He had wanted to be in charge of everybody's growth and their behavior and all that stuff, all He would have is a bunch of robots. He could have done that. But you know what? God didn't even make the angels that way. They all have free will. If they didn't, they would never have fallen, would they? I mean, think about that. You think we can live right at church when all the glory is going on and all this stuff? Well, look where the angels lived. They lived in His presence and they still fell. I sure would like to have heard the sermon that Lucifer preached to them. But anyway, here in verse 18, notice this. This but we is a reference back to verse 13, but not as Moses. Moses hid his face, but we, now you and I, all with open face, unmasked, unveiled face, beholding as in the glass, the mirror, the glory of the Lord, and are changed into the same image that you are seeing from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That Spirit is you. That's, that's the process. That's the by. That's how this is accomplished. Notice this. You are changed as you keep looking into that, which is our job. We, we have to keep looking into the Word. We can't grow without the Word. And as the Holy Spirit teaches us and steps us through these pages, I'm telling you, here's the picture of this. And in Jesus' name, my knees are healed. But, but here is the picture of this changed from glory to glory. Usually it's in there and I can step up easy. 
But, but here you are, one level of glory, so to speak. One, one level of revelation knowledge that you're operating in. As you peer into the, that glory more, you look into that mirror, and as you see that reflection, and you, you're seeing yourself. You're seeing what you are in Christ. You're seeing your identity, and then you're changed into that. You're changed into that image. You're stepping up. Every time that you get a revelation from God, you're changed from one level of glory to the next. Amen. I like when I'm preaching in churches with a lot of steps because I can keep on going up. But, but see, that is the value that you possess as having a spirit that is created in righteousness and true holiness. Your identity... The word incredible is not accurate enough to say. The, in 1981, the Lord downloaded a message to me called The Integrity of the Recreated Human Spirit. And I mean, it blew... I'm glad Karen's not here. It blew my tiny mind. I mean, I saw down some things that I, I just... It, it's just... It was so overwhelming. But the integrity that we have just by being a child of God is awesome if we would only learn to walk in it. The Pentecostals, bless their hearts, they want to push all of it over on the Holy Ghost. And they go from meeting to meeting. Through the week, they're down and out. They get to church and they get built back up. Well, why not pray in tongues every day? Worship God every day. Confess the Word every day. Stay up there. Amen? And, and, and start growing in the Lord. See, as your pastor, that's my heart for you. For all of these people. I was asking the Lord today to give me a strategy to win the lost here in Moreland. I, I told somebody a few days ago, that I'm not interested in getting other church people. Usually they're the ones that's the problem anyway. I'm interested in reaching people that have never been born again. So will you agree with me that he'll give me a strategy? He, he is the great strategist. In fact, the greatest strategy that's ever been waged was the cross. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's run back over here to Romans 8. My Lord, I'm still not done with it. What can we do here, Jesus? Oh, there's so much, so much. Let's turn to... I know I've shared this with you before, but it, it presses me to do this again. Verse 26 starts out with a likewise. And you know what I say about a likewise. Be wise enough to compare what you've read with what you're about to read. So this week sometime read verses 18 through 25. Likewise, the Spirit. It has a definite article. It is the second time that Paul is talking about the Holy Ghost. Likewise. See... What he just got through talking about is the dilemma that we're faced with with this body. He, in verse 22, he says, We know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to, to wit or to be complete, the redemption of our body. That's what we're all waiting on. So likewise, the Holy Spirit also helpeth helpeth 
Remember I told you what that word was? Can you remember what the word? It's, it's, it's a compound word. There's three words in that one word, English word. And each one of them mean, is, a, is very significant. Helpeth. The likewise the Spirit helpeth. Soon anti lambano. Soon means with. Somebody wants to say, you know, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, well, you know what? We've got to have some help. And here comes the help. Soon is the is S-U-N-E. It means to be together with. It's almost like a clasp pan locked in together. Anti means just what it does in English. It's anti. Lambano means to, to take hold of and throw it away. So here's the picture of your Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity. He is with you in your problem. He is against your problem. And you know, I might add that a lot of times people's problems, they need to hate it as much as God does. Because He does hate it. He hates your problems that you have. But He's willing to take hold together with you against that problem and throw it out of the way. But He can't do that just because He wants to. He must have our cooperation. He must have that little tongue of yours going all the time in that language so that He can take hold to get you together with you. And what does He help us against? Our infirmities. The Greek word infirmities is the, is the word asthenia. Here's another medical term. Asthenia is where we get our word anesthesia from. It means to render into a, into a comatose condition. You ever seen anybody in a coma? I, I've had to go minister to people. I had, I had one 18-year-old boy that... Uh, it's a long story I can't get into, but the Lord... I was at the dinner table one afternoon and the Lord told me to go to Tallahassee and pray him and tell coma to get out of him. And I did, and it did, and the boy was raised up. But that comatose state is horrible. You can't, you can't wipe your own nose, mouth, anything else for that matter. I mean, you, you can't help yourself. See, that is the condition that we're in without Him. And He comes. He knows that. In this side of our body, this soulless side, we can't do anything good for Him. Everything that we do good for Him in that side is usually works righteousness. It's of no value whatsoever. I mean, I, I was raised up in a church where they gave you a little pen. You know, uh, if you attended church every Sunday for a year, you'd have a pen. And some people had them down to their belt. But I knew their lives. I mean, it doesn't matter how many quarterlies you've studied. <laughs> You know, it matters what kind of relationship. Because you see, that is the condition that we're in. We're in a comatose condition when it comes to accomplishing the will of God without Him. And so He comes, takes hold together with us against those problems, whether it's a neck problem or whatever it may be, hip problem, whatever it may be. And He prays for us. He said, for we know not what. That means, the word what means in detail. 
we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. That's why I spend most of my time in tongues. Now, I will, uh, when I start praying in the mornings, I will pray for our president, our leaders of our nation, and the county and the city that we live in. Then I'll pray for my children. You know, I've got sense enough to pray for those things. But when it comes to what I'm supposed to preach today, I, I don't have any way of knowing that without Him. I mean, I've got, you know, how many years? 25 years of notes back there and outlines that I could just pick one out. And, but I, I want to know His will. And so He helps me these infirmities. And He, he I don't know how to pray out, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Makes intercession. He meets, to, he meets, he meets with us with the idea of rescue. Amen. Don't be afraid to call on Him. You may have asked Him to forgive you of that thing a thousand times or more. Amen. Don't quit. Keep seeking Him. Keep seeking His face and praying. And this word groanings here, it's stenogmois. It's, it's an aspiration. It's, stenogmois is the picture of a tea kettle that's on the stove. Remember back when they would, the steam would build up and they'd whistle? That's the picture of this word. So as you are... It, be, it keeps building up, building up building up and when it starts aspirating when it starts coming out I'm some divine results will begin to happen amen we hold the key to that we hold the key to that now I asked the Lord back this was probably 1980 when this revelation came uh, because I was at Ramah and we were talking about this and so I was praying about it. when I got this I said Lord what do you mean it can't be uttered he said their words on such a high plane there's no English words or tongues to, to speak them. And they come out as a groan. Now don't be like some of the charismaniacs did. They had a bunch of groaners. They'll get in church and start, Whoa! All that stuff. Then you'll see it. They'll be groaning. They'll look at their watch. Oh, it's time. No. That's just dumb all around the edges. Anyway... And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind. The word mind, remember I was telling you about that Sunday. The deep laid plans of God which are in your spirit. The Holy Spirit knows that. Mm -hmm. He goes in, he, he, he searches your heart. It's just, like, it's just like Eureka. He's just like he's digging in your, coal, in your gold mine. And he discovers these nuggets. Oh, this is what I've set her to do. This is, this is going to be awesome. And he begins working on you and bringing out that deep laid plan of God as you're cooperating in that spirit and, and the mind of the spirit because he makes intercessions, intercession for the saints according to God. According to God. We'll stop at that right there. That's, that's enough for you to meditate on. But we're going to get into this spirit, soul, and body a little more. And I'm going to have you some handouts and stuff. And hopefully we're going to nail down some things that the Holy Spirit's wanting us to do. Amen.